Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Time to classy up to join a little bit. Let's check in with Mike Smith. Jazz uh, pre-half and post host along with Alema Harrington. Mike, how are you? Hey, Mike. Very nice of you. Uh, Scotty, I'll, I'll be introduced that way any day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, BYU legend, NBA draft pick, played alongside Larry Bird. I mean, look, the, the resume speaks for itself. I'm just repeating great information out there. But uh, I want to go back a little bit because you joined the show early in the season. And we're trying to figure out who these guys are. And you're like, hey, look, this Walker Kessler, he has a chance to be an all-star. This guy has a chance to be great. And it it got people talking a bit because I think we knew that he has a chance to be pretty good. But nobody was ready to go on that ledge until you did. And, boy, it seems like you hit the nail right on the head. What did you see from him so early that led you to believe that he'd have kind of the initial success where he's at right now? Well, I saw I saw the physical thing. So, you know, I, I saw the great length. I saw the mobility. I saw the, the lightness on his feet. I saw the way he changed into the floor. I saw that, you know, he didn't have to stop and start, turn, and then bust it the other way. He's just, he runs like a gazelle. So he's, he's, a, toe, he's a toe stepper. He doesn't hit his heel first. And guys like that never get hurt, really. And, like, they don't have ankle foot injuries. And they're light, they're quick off their feet. So those things I saw. And then I guess what else I saw was his touch, like his ability to catch. He had great hands. I didn't know how he would finish around the rim, but I saw he caught almost every pass, whether it was good or bad. 
And then the thing that really triggered me was Media Day. And so we spent time with them. And this is, you know, Polar and Thurl and Holly and David Locke, Ron Boone, Alema and I. And, and we get 30 minutes with each guy. And we get to ask him any questions we want. And I just listen. And I'm observing and just, you know, I didn't fire any questions because they took care of that. And the kid just had the right mentality. Like, I, I could just tell that he could bounce off mistakes. He would not get too high on the good plays or the good games. And it just felt like his uncle having played in the NBA and his dad having been a high-level college player, that this kid was prepared mentally and emotionally for everything that he would suggest to a kid, not just the wall after 30 games, but like the highs and the lows and getting dunked on by a more physical player and, you know, will I start or will I not? And he just has all the components. And, you know, he's got a lot of work to do, and he knows that. But I just ask fans to kind of project a little bit and say, imagine when he can make, and not that he can't now, he just doesn't take them, but imagine when he can you know, catch it down low and put a right-hand jump hook and a left-hand jump hook and then stretch a jump shot out to 18 feet, he really will be something. What do you expect from him in the Skills Challenge and the Rising Stars Challenge that he's going to be participating in? Is there much that we can take away from his performance or his involvement in that? You know, if he were just a shot-blocking big pants who couldn't change ends of the floor, I, I would suggest that he might get lost in the Rising Stars game. It's a guard game. It's a wing game. It's up and down. It's a, you know the most glorified pickup game in the world next to the one that will take place on Sunday. And sometimes bigs get lost in that. But I think because he's so mobile and he's, he's in such good shape, he'll probably keep up with the traffic. He'll probably have three or four blocks and he'll probably have three or four lobs. And none of those things will deter us from thinking he's he's what he is, right? I, I wouldn't care if he scored eight points, had five rebounds and three blocks in the game and played 20 minutes. It wouldn't bother me one bit. It's just, it's just one of those games. It's an honor to have him there. I think it's a compliment to him because he's had that type of rookie campaign. He's not going to win rookie of the year, but if you look at those advanced stats that are like player efficiency stuff, He's number one among all rookies. In other words, he affects the game even more than a Jabari Smith Jr. at Houston or a, a Paolo Banquero down there in Orlando because of what he does. And then as, as far as the skills, I just think that's fun. I think it's fun that the NBA's chosen a Utah Jazz-centered team with, you know, Clarkson and Sexton. and uh, That all depends if Walker makes his three-point shot. If he's stuck there for five shots, that team's not going to win. But if he makes one of two, they got the chance. What are your expectations? I mean, I guess from a development standpoint and from a goals to accomplish this year, now that the roster's been, I don't want to say gutted, but it's been upended a little bit at trade deadline, what do you want to see out of this Jazz team the remainder of the year? I think it would be hard to expect anything different than what they've given us. In other words, their DNA resembles what the coaches taught them. And so they're going to show up and play hard. You're going to see them fight every night. They, they are missing their, their 
Mike Conley factor at the end of games, which allowed them to be such competitive team at the end of games. They have so many clutch games. and um, But I think they come and they play hard. Uh, I think you'll see guys like Azubuike play more. I think you'll see Kalen Horton Tucker continue to get minutes. Uh, I don't think you'll see decreased minutes from a Marinen or a or a Kessler by any means. I think Sexton will continue to run the point. Clarkson will be him. And we should give Jordan Clarkson a little bit of credit, right? At age 30, having career year in points, rebounds, and assists. It's pretty hard to change your stripes. And he not only was asked to start, but, you know, he's done it in pretty pretty cool fashion. But I think they're going to battle. I think they've already won the hearts of the, the fan base. And, uh, guys, I just I just look at this group and I say, okay, they're, they're doing exactly what they had hoped to accomplish. Like, this year was always about development and future vision and what do we have. Like, when you're thinking of management, Justin and Danny and Ryan, and, you know, they're looking, this year was always going to be about, okay, what, does each guy provide? What can he be? And I think they're seeing that, and the rest of the year is about that. Meanwhile, the only thing that changed in the narrative was the fact that they won so many games early, and they beat so many good teams, and it, it kind of raised expectations of the fan base, and it kind of threw us off a little bit, like, wow, this team could really make the playoffs. And I think it's exactly what it should be. Uh, I don't think there's one thing that deters this team now from going out and making a major move. Like, like I thought about this the other day, and this will blow your mind. The, the deal that Phoenix just made for Kevin Durant, if there were three more Kevin Durants out there, the Jazz could go make that same deal. They could go make that same deal three times. Hmm. Think about that. Like, they could go get the best player that fits their system for four first-round picks. They could do it three times. It's, it's really nuts. So they are in an incredible position with 15 picks. And Scotty and Hess, I believe only two of those 15 picks are what's called lightly protected, picks one through four. The other 13 are completely unprotected. They are... You know, they're sitting on the kitty, and they're going to wait for the right moment. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. I wanted to know if there's some type of 
I don't know, the selection process for the three-point contest. Scotty and I were talking about Lowry and Markkinen being included in that three-point contest. We went through the field, and Scotty brought up no Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who's leading the league? or He's near the top at about 45% from three, and I know he's upset. The Nuggets are upset. They they, they want him in there and, and no selection for him. How do they go about the selection process on this, Mike? That's a good question. Um, I don't really know. Like, I do know that uh, as of 10 days ago, Lowry is top five in the league percentage-wise, among all players taking five threes or more a game. So sometimes we'll run our little notes and we'll dig things up like we call them professional shooters, right? The guys who are taking five or more a game. And he was top five in the league. Now, he's gone through, in, in all honesty, he's gone through a little spell of late where he's shooting 25%. It's like a six or seven game little mini slump that he has not gone through at any point during the season. He's still shooting 41.2 for the year and 51.2 from the field. But in the last seven games, he's slipped a little bit. He's had a couple of two-for-nine games and things like that that's brought this, I don't know, that to mind. I kind of feel like tonight's a game he breaks out and restores that confidence. Nothing like what Jordan Clarkson did last game. Jordan was 5-for-28 going into the game against Indiana, and he made six out of eight. <laughs> it was the first time in his career he made six. But sometimes, Hans, to answer your question, they will take a fan favorite, they will take a local, and they will take someone who can perform both roles. Hmm. So the fact that Lowry's here, he's in town, he's in the All-Star game, and he's a great three-point shooter, um... I go back to my senior year in college. I go back to the Final Four in Seattle. And I'm there to play in the All-Star game. So it's, you know, probably the 24 best college players are going to play in this All-Star game on the Sunday between the Saturday semi and the Monday final in 1989 where Michigan won the championship over Seton Hall, if you remember Glenn Rice's team. And Ramil Robinson made some free throws at the end of the game. I think Duke and Illinois were also in that Final Four. I overheard the group talking on Saturday afternoon, and they said, we don't, uh, we're missing one of our three-point shooting specialists. You'll get a kick out of this story. <laughs> and so they were inviting the eight top three-point shooters in college. And I, you know, done well in college and the conference, but I was a big guy. They didn't think much of my three-point shooting ability. And I walked right up to the guy running the show, and I said, you need an eighth shooter? And they said, yeah. I said, I can shoot threes. They're like, aren't you playing in the game? I go, yeah, I'm playing in the game later. I said, do you need a shooter or not? <laughs> and they go, well, you're like six foot ten. I go, I led the nation in foul shooting. Do you not think I can shoot? And I'm like, okay, we need an eighth guy. You're in. Funniest part of the whole story is Rick Majerus was the color analyst on TV. And so we go through the first round. And I make like 22 points, right? I make it to the semis. And Majerus' comment, because I watched it later, was like, oh, he wasn't coaching Utah at the time. He was the Marquette coach. But he's like, this tall guy from, from BYU, he shoots kind of a one-handed, you know, shot. I don't think he's going to last the next round. 
The next round, I go for 25, <laughs> get to the final, and Medeiros is like, I don't know if it's just going to hold up. I think he's had a couple of lucky two rounds. So Milt Newton of Kansas goes first, and he nets like 23 in the final. And now I got to go next, and I get like 26 and win the whole thing. So You won the whole thing. Uh, Holy smokes. Maybe that's a harbinger for, for Lowry to win it in front of the home crowd as a seven-footer. That's awesome. Hey, uh, I want to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, you talk about giving up a lot of, uh, un- or the Jazz having a lot of unprotected picks. Uh, Brooklyn just netted a bunch in the Kevin Durant trade. Kind of give me your thoughts. Is the Did the power dynamic shift in the West to Phoenix with that trade if if uh, Durant can get, out, can get healthy and get back out on the court? You, you know where my mind goes with that? Like, Danny doesn't call me for advice, but Danny and I are dear buds. And Ryan doesn't call me for basketball advice, nor does Justin. But you know where my mind goes when I see Brooklyn in complete rebuild mode? I would bundle a few of our first-round picks and go get Mikhail Bridges, who just went to Brooklyn. And you have a long, athletic three-man who is your future three, and you pair him next to Markinen and Kessler, and you finished three-fifths of the job, right? Like that kid at age 26, Markinen at 25, Kessler at 21. I feel like you got your front court for the next eight years. They can all defend. They can all block shots. They can all rebound in traffic. They can all shoot. Anyway, that's my mind someplace go, sometimes goes funny places when you, you mention a team. But your question was, did the power shift to Phoenix? I thought all year, this will sound nuts, but I thought all year the three favorites in the West, not in this order, were Denver, Clippers, and Phoenix. And if you ask me right now who's going to come out of the West, one of those three teams. The Clippers have quietly won 9 out of 12. Phoenix has subtly won 10 out of 13. Denver's been the front runner all year and barely made a move at the break. In, in seven-game series, the game slows down, possessions have greater magnitude, and the more stars you have, the better chance you have to win series. Think of Luka taking the Mavericks to the Western Conference Finals last year. Uh, you now have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Durant. If anybody watched Booker last night, he looks so healthy it's ridiculous. Chris Paul had 19 assists. They're just waiting for their scoring machine in Durant. If he comes back 75% of himself, they're going to be a tough out. Mm-hmm. I think the Clippers are going to be a tough out because George and Kawhi are not only exceptional scorers, but they can defend the two best wings on the other team. And they're lockdown defenders. And then, of course, Denver's just kind of been balanced and good all year with a with a mismatch in Jokic that every time you walk on the floor, you're like, how do we stop him? So definitely that shift has happened. I'd say Boston and Milwaukee are the class of the East. And if I had to pick right now, I'd say Milwaukee comes out of the East. Well, I think just talking about the Western and the Phoenix Suns, I think one of the more underrated aspects of what Phoenix did with Kevin Durant when it comes postseason, and if Kevin decides that he wants a championship and wants to play basketball, he will play defense and can play defense. He really can. Like, there's a stretch there when the Warriors 
they, they called it their death lineup, right? Yeah. It's Raymond, Kevin, and Iguodala, and Clay, and who cares what steps <laughs> it been? Those other four could really lock down anybody, and they switched everything. They, they were truly an, an anomaly, and I, I would give the credit to Eric Spolstra the years before when he brings LeBron and Boss and that group together, and I interviewed him back then. This is the, the stretch where they go four finals in a row, and he just called it positionless basketball. It was the first time I'd ever heard the term, and he didn't care who played where. We're going to switch. We're going to muck up your offense. We're going to make all your little pick and rolls a non-factor because we're just going to switch and smother the ball. And so Steve Kerr took a little page from that and said, okay, i got five great athletes, plus three of them can shoot the lights out. Who's going to stop us? And think about it. If it's Durant's not there for year two when Cleveland does win and Kyrie wins the shot, right? Four years in a row they get there. I guess they get their five years in a row, my bad. But if you think about it, no bogut injury and no Draymond Green suspension, Golden State wins that year, too. Fast forward to the Toronto series, no clay injury, no Durant injury, Golden State wins five in a row. That's how good that group was. And Durant can defend when asked to. Well, Mike, I know you got some work tonight, but uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, Utah Jazz, what has happened with Memphis? What wheels have come off and has caused Memphis to not free fall because they're still sitting in the two, if I remember right, but Memphis is on a struggle right now. Yeah, they've lost 9 out of 12. Uh, Moran is still spectacular. Desmond Bain is one of the ultimate shooters in our game. He's only in year three. And every year shot 43% or better from three. I don't think there's another player that can say that. I realize it's a, a small sample three years into his career. So they got an incredible backcourt. I didn't think Jaron Jackson deserved an all-star selection, but I mean, he's averaging 16 and six, but he does average four and a half blocks per 36 minutes. And they, they really ran out of front court players to select with, like Anthony Davis being hurt. and So he gets an all-star nod, but believe it or not, I think, and this is just me, I don't know everything, but like one of the subtle hidden keys to that team is Steven Adams. And so he's missed 14 games. They're 6-8 and eight without him. Uh, in the stretch of the last nine that he missed, they're 2-7. and seven. So before, like when Adams plays, they're the best rebounding team in basketball. They're the best at scoring in the paint. They're the best at stopping you, not scoring-wise, but number one most difficult team to shoot against. So that's Adams at the rim and athleticism everywhere else. And you just got to give them credit. They've really built a great team through basically the draft. One trade, Valentunas, for, for Adams has kind of made the difference. But they're, they're a team to be reckoned with. But I think without Adams, I don't want to say they're beatable tonight because I feel like last game before the break and having not played since Sunday, I think they're going to bring it tonight. And they're a fast break waiting to happen. John Morant basically can get anywhere he wants, on the floor, any possession. And I used to feel the same way about Michael Jordan. Everyone in my era thought, oh, Michael dunks this, he dunks this, he 
He elevates. He's got those big hands. He can finish in traffic. Forget about that. What made him so great is he could change directions quicker than you could even think about it. So by the time you reacted to what he did, you were a step or two behind. That's why he got fouled so much at the end of games. Much to the Utah fans' dismay. It wasn't that Michael made shot after shot after shot in leading them to two wins over the Jazz in the finals. Think about it. You go back and watch the tape. He's getting fouled in those fourth quarters, making free throws, keeping Chicago relevant, keeping them you know, down two and down four and down two. and They just didn't come away with empty possession because he kept putting pressure on the defense. Morant is a lot that way. Well, Mike, we appreciate it. Always good catching up with you. Enjoy uh, after tonight a little bit of a break for the All-Star game and uh, look forward to this uh, final stretch run for the Jazz. Thank you, Mike. You guys do a great job. Thanks for having me on. What a great show. Oh, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Mike Smith right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Uh, of course, pre, half, and post with Alema Harrington. Uh, do tremendous work as always. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.